Welcome to episode 36 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50 and your host for today's show. Kelly Mac McCoy grew up in a very dysfunctional family. He described his father as a fall-down drunk for 25 years, and his mother was in and out of mental institutions. As a result, Kelly and his siblings pretty much raised themselves. As a young adult, Kelly saw truck driving as a way of escaping the horrible situation. It enabled him to be alone much of the time, where he also discovered his love for reading and would visit bookstores wherever he traveled. In doing so, he began to critique authors and their writing style. When Kelly was in his 50s, the trucking company he worked for went bankrupt. Rather than be disappointed, he decided it was a good time to take his writing seriously. It was a dream Kelly harbored in his heart since childhood. To tell us what prompted him to become a writer and how it opened doors for new opportunities, please welcome truck driver turned writer Kelly Mac McCoy to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Kelly. I really appreciate your time. So tell us a little bit about you, like where you're from and what you did for a living before you turned 50. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Before I turned 50, I've, I've lived in Texas all my life. I was born in Tyler, Texas. And I tell everybody that I moved to Dallas when I turned uh, two years old because that was where the booze was. True story. Because at the time there in East Texas, Tyler was dry, as was most of East Texas. Tyler's about 80 miles east of Dallas. My dad used to have to make these runs all the way to Dallas to get liquor. Anyway, that's how we ended up there. So we ended up in Dallas two years old. I spent my, I grew up in Oak Cliff, which is the, on the south side of Dallas, best known for where Lee Harvey Oswald went to the Texas theater after supposedly shooting, shooting uh, President Kennedy. It was that Oak Cliff. And so I, I grew up there and I left there about early twenties. Moved to the Houston area, followed a job there, and uh, and then later on transferred to San Antonio, and I've lived in San Antonio since about the year. Uh, my goodness! And what did you do for a living? Most of my most of my working career, I drove a truck. My driving a truck for me was a poor boy's way of seeing the world. I don't have any kind of background in there in that. I don't know any. I didn't know any truck drivers at the time. It's just. Being out there on the road appealed to me to get away from my whole dysfunctional past and all that. And I was young and stupid and when we're that age and I was 21 at the time because that's, that's the youngest you can be to drive interstate. It was then, it still is. And so since I turned 21, I got my CDL and hit the road to see the world. And, but you know how it goes, all that stuff followed me everywhere I went. So that, and I did that most of my, most of my career, did everything under the sun, you can think about it, as far as trucking goes. And then I worked that until I was in my fifties and then my truck, the company I worked for went bankrupt. And so when that happened, I decided it was a good time to take my writing seriously. And we can talk a little bit about that if you like, but, uh, it's something I had in my heart ever since I was a kid, a little kid. But I came from such a dysfunctional background, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, can relate to that. I nobody in my neighborhood did that kind of thing, or did any kind of worked that kind of white collar job or, or 
or no cheating. Wasn't something that was possible that I thought was possible. Why don't you tell um, us a little bit about your dysfunctional background? I guess you had a rather rough childhood, didn't you? I said that I moved to Dallas from Tyler at two years old, because that's where the booze was. And so we moved there. My, my dad, he stayed drunk for like 25 years straight, literally falling down drunk. And, and before I, I say all this, I've learned completely released all this. And, and my parents have really rough backgrounds. Hope springs eternal. So they had kids, but he stayed drunk and was 25 years straight. Now I, I remember him literally falling down drunk on the, on the steps of my uh, elementary school. And bless his heart, he went up there to actually defend me for whatever it was I did. I, probably, I didn't deserve it, sure. I didn't, didn't deserve to be defended, I should say. But so that was outside. And then my mom, she was in and out of mental institutions the whole time growing up, as far back as I can remember. And back in those days, they, when somebody had a nervous breakdown, as they used to call them, they would give them electric, sh yeah, electric shocks. And so shock therapy, they called it. And so basically with that, it was just as it sounds. And she was terrified. And somehow she knew that she was losing it, losing touch with reality. And she would become terrified, absolutely terrified. I remember that as a little kid, I watched my mom just have terror in her eyes because she knew that was going to happen. Who raised so, you as a child? My, I did. I did. <laughs> you were all by yourself. Did you have any no, siblings? No, I was. No, I was in the house. I was I was in the the household, and that when all that happened. But yeah, I had I had two older brothers, and a younger sister, and so we all lived on the streets more or less. And to answer your question, I pretty much raised myself. I didn't have any direction or any kind or any mentors, anything like that. Actually, more common than many realize. But so that's where I was at, and so I later on. I, I grew up during the hippie era. I was never, I don't think I'd ever call myself a hippie, but even those who are not that familiar with that have seen the Jesus revolution and that whole hippie movement. I was growing up during that time and drugs were readily available. Now they are now, but everybody, it was just very common for people to take every drug out there. And I did too. I took pretty much every drug known to man and plus I swore up and down, I wouldn't end up like my dad. I wouldn't drink and get drunk, but you know how that goes. Did that too. Absolutely. Uh, it sounds like truck driving and drug use were ways to escape from the childhood that you endured. They were. It was. Both of those were. And, and, and like I said, the trucking part came. You know, in the midst of all that, the trucking part came. And like I said, that's just it's something I decided I was just going to do just to get away. And get out there on the road. You had no training as a writer at all when you decided no, to jump into that. No training as a writer at all. And again, it's something that I've always had in my heart. I, I remember as a kid, I would go to Barnes and Noble type bookstores, it's huge bookstores, and I would love to just go up and down those aisles and just look at the books. And I'll pick out a book at random. And I would look at that book and I'm out based on press with a pro and I'm like, man, I could never write like that. And then I put that one up, going down the aisle, pick up another one. And I was like, now this is just really bad writing. If somehow or another, 
this person can get that book on the shelf, I know that I could do it. So I didn't know somehow that I could do that, even though I never actively pursued it because of my crazy background. But, and that was before the days of self-publishing, of course, for much easier now to get a book out there. But some always had my heart. Henry Ford said, or at least he's credited with saying that whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. That's so, very true. Absolutely. But you did writing not just for yourself, but you started writing on behalf of other people as a ghostwriter and built a business around that. I did. I did. I, when I, when the uh, trucking company I spoke of earlier went bankrupt, and that, that was a catalyst to get me moving on this thing, I decided to uh, take my writing seriously down. And I joined an awesome uh, Christian writers group in San Antonio. And, and I started getting connected with some awesome people there, and it was really life And then uh, I was among the very good writers, and some of them are published multiple. Some of them have not worked really well. It's just a mix there. And I kept telling me what a good writer I was. Man, you're a really good writer. And I didn't believe any of it at the time. But I did get that, that encouragement to sing it. And I did. And I teamed up with this gentleman by the name of John Floyd Mills. He was a writer with the old San Antonio Light newspaper, which has since merged with the San Antonio Express News. But he, he liked my writing style. And so he had a, he had an idea since I had a background in trucking that we would partner together co-write a number of books, a whole series of books, about a pastor turned trucker who hits the road after his wife dies. And then we started working together, and then, there was no falling out or anything. It's just that we were too different, and our styles didn't mesh. So he went in his own way, and he wrote a couple of novels on his own. He already had one published, but he wrote his second novel. And I took that project on my own and stumbled and fell with it. I'd never written a book before, so I just, one of those things, you just, I'll get around to it eventually. John Floyd Mills died unexpectedly at a relatively young age. And that was the final motivation for me to pick up in my pen again, so to speak, and see that novel through to completion and publishing. I did. And uh, so that was my first book, it's Rough Way to the Highway. And then I plan and still plan on writing a sequel, a couple of sequels actually, that book. And that led to my, my current book, which I'll talk about that when you're ready. That's where that, how that all came about. So you are writing books for other people, though, are you not? I am writing books for other people as well. And I'm doing some ghostwriting. I, to a couple this morning that I'm going to be meeting with them next weekend and finalize the deal. I, I can't say too much because it's going to be, I can't give much information about that, but I've got other, a couple of other projects that I'm working on, but the whole ghostwriting thing started because I, as soon as I started writing, took my serious, writing seriously, and that was eight when that happened, when I started in earnest. And then I, I was doing it for free all the time anyway. So I, you, I would rewrite everybody's 
tough for me. And I discovered I was good at that. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't help myself whenever I got their material in my hand. I could see how it could be so much better. And much of ghost writing is that kind of writing anyway. I know you've got some too, where you take content that other, others have written and it's just turn it around, make it an engaging read, organize it together. And some of it is just, you just pull the contact content out of people. And what the other thing that really attracted me about ghostwriting, in fact, to ghostwriting is that I have a passion for writing people's stories because I never, I never thought I would do them. People have some fantastic stories out there and they need to be told and they won't do it. And many people start and, and think that they're going to write a book. And then when they get into it, they realize how much they put into writing a book. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And about 90% of the people, 90% of the people want to write a book someday. And that's Greg, Sunday, rarely count. That's right. They don't get have somebody else write it because they're still busy that they don't have experience in writing and they get into it and they should quit in most cases. Do you specialize so, in fiction or nonfiction? I have two. I can write either one equally well. Nonfiction <clears throat> is a little bit easier to write as far as when you're, when you're writing somebody's story. Nonfiction is much easier because you're writing the facts and you're telling their story. But I can be fictionally my my first book was a novel, and if somebody wants a fiction book written, wants me to be the ghostwriter for their fiction book, then they will likely have an outline, or at least in their head, and know where they want to go with it and everything. So I'm not creating it out of thin air, like I did my own book. And that was quite the experience where I learned a lot just doing that book, that first one. And so that was fiction. My second book is nonfiction, but it's creatively written nonfiction. I've gone home gamma and I can write either one, either one. How did you find clients without any experience in writing? I, there, there are several ways I've gotten, I have a lot, I've developed a lot of connections over the years. I, mean, I have a lot of connections in writing. And after a while, it's just kind of naturally when you start talking to people and they say, Hey, I know this person. I've joined a ghostwriting group and, and when you, when you join all these groups, you have people there who, who aren't able for whatever reason to handle what they have or they say, how can you do this? And I just did that for somebody else the other day because the, the, uh, the job wasn't really suitable for me or we weren't a good aspect yet. So I just referred them to somebody else. And I've got that ghostwriters group. I've got some things that I've, although it's not my favorite way of doing things, I've got a number of jobs off of Upwork. I don't know if you're familiar with Upwork. I am. But yeah, they, they have a lot of, a lot of jobs on there. Most of them, might have them are not worth having, but there are some diamonds in the rough there and you find some that way. So that's it. Once you put yourself out there, and I think that's at least in part of what the show is about. Once you start to put yourself out there, things just start to happen. I agree. So how did you develop these connections? You had mentioned Upwork, but did you, and you joined some groups, but people establishing a network is almost essential today if you're going to be in business for yourself. How did you do it? 
I just, I have the kind of personality, fortunately, where I can talk to anybody in any level of society. I, my first connection was the writer's group itself. As far as the writing goes, I'm just, I'm just that way. When I step into something, I'll start meeting people and then it just builds fairly. This person knows that person and, and it just goes that way. That's the number one thing that we have to do is just get out there and network and get to know people and the opportunities that start coming your way. And then you start let people know about it. People don't know if you don't meet them and play something. That's right. You know? Do you, do you edit books for other people? I've done a little bit of that. And that's part of the ghostwriting process is editing. It's just not part of the process. I can do editing. I'm actually pretty good at it, but, but the, no matter how good you are at that, at the writing or the editing and you're, you've done the writing and the ghostwriting, you know, this as well as anybody, you have to have that edited professionally edited at the end of the process, even if you're an editor. That's right. You're an editor, writer, and ghostwriter. I don't care how many times you look it over, at the end of it, you have to have somebody else fresh eyes to see that. You're too close to it as a writer, and you just, yeah, you need somebody else to look it over and say, hey, I think you need to expand on this, or I don't understand why this is in your story. I've got a project I'm working on right now, and I've learned to do this. I just... I write it and then I set it aside for a few days or for some time, week or two sometimes, and then go back and look at it and you'll see things you can, you can't believe were there the whole time and you can't believe that you wrote it, but it's there. <laughs> that happens to so, me all the time. I'll read something that I've written years ago and go, who wrote this crap? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff I have out there. I feel exactly <laughs> the same way. I'm like, man, I hope nobody beats it. But, but it's, it's a learning process and, and, and writing really is rewriting. Make something good. You have to rewrite it. Nobody's going to think it was Ernest Hemingway. I'm trying to remember the quote. What did he say? He said, all, all, all first drafts are blank. And I'll let you fill in the blank. <laughs> and he was talking about his own, everybody's writing, including his own. But if Ernest Hemingway can say that his writing blank, the first draft, then encourages the rest of it. That's right. You know? I heard an interesting quote the other day that said, write the book that you want to read because you're going to read it 500 times before it's published. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. You, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you read that, you're, just, you're tired of reading and you don't want to read it anymore. And then I know I went through that with my, I went through it with both books, but with my novel, especially I went over and over that. And I got so tired of that book, I didn't, I thought, I can't publish. But then I'd give it to somebody else, and they would like, wow, this is really good. This needs to be a movie. It's awesome. But I thought, really? Like, but you get, you get too close to it, and it, and it becomes too common. And you've seen it too many times, and not many of us like our own writing. We step back and read it later, and maybe it won't be so bad, but. But that's common. I wake up. I told somebody the other day, every time I sit down and write, I have some degree of imposter syndrome I have to overcome. That's a very good so, point. How many books have you worked on? Oh, I, I, I don't even know. A ton of them. I've written, written the two myself, but the, 
formally and informally. I couldn't even give you a number. I had his client had two major, what I would call major project. I think the, the Lord had a reason for all this, for giving me the third, because I, I've had some major disappointments of late. I've had two major book projects come along. First one I started on, it was going really well. And the, the people decided to pause a couple, they decided to pause it personally. And I won't go into detail, but I'd like to know why, because people attacked them to be in personal things because of the subject matter. And the second one, this is also a major, major book. And it, you know, involves somebody with a lot of connections in TV and all that, but it really wasn't. But once I got into it, that's the one I passed on to somebody else. But that would have been a major deal. But, and then I think the very next day, I passed on that one. I mean, I passed it along to another uh, ghostwriter who's probably more uh, suitable for that. This one came up. And I'm, I'm going to meet somebody, uh, this, as I said, this weekend on that deal. And give any details on yeah, that sorry. One. Tell us about your book that you're writing, that you're about to release. That book is called The Sojourner's Road Home. The Sojourner's Road Home, a 40-day journey to the heart of God. And I intended originally to write a uh, sequel to Rough Way to the Highway, my novel. Actually, I had two of them planned. Started on the second one, and then the world turned upside down these last few years. And then so many people, both Christians and non-Christians, it's just despaired of life in many cases. Suicides, number of suicides just accelerated tremendously. All this civil strife, social strife within families, just increased tremendously. People lost their jobs, lost their houses, their savings. Just, you know, the story and your audience knows the story, but that it's what caused me to change here, so to speak, and write the Sojourner's Road Home. The Sojourner's Road Home is a reminder, the title would suggest, there were all sojourners in this life, aren't we? Thank God. We're all just passing through. And I had to remind myself and still have to remind myself of that often when I'm going through trials, trials that we all go through. I remind myself, hey, I'm just passing through here. And it's a 40-day journey to the heart of God. And it's not just us walking off the sweet by and by, but it's here in this life as well. We don't, we don't focus on the world and the world system and all the terrible things going on. Let's talk to somebody about that just earlier today. And we were talking about how we both believe there's a great awakening going on. We're waking up and realizing that things aren't as they think. I think uh, you're absolutely right in that regard. Yeah. And it's with politics, with the whole world system, the, the stories that they've been told for years, things just don't add up. And they're waking up. They don't believe in media. They don't believe the powers of eat. And there's a division going on between light and darkness. It's, it's, it's that simple. How did you come to faith when you had such a dysfunctional childhood? I came to faith. I became a believer back in the thighs. And it's just God 
there's an emptiness within all of us, a void that we all have. And I never had anybody in my whole life that was, I had no Christian background, never went to church. It's hard to believe now in this society we live in, but I had zero. The only time I ever went to church when I was a little kid, I'd stay over at somebody's house. And they would go to church and I had a church that made my, my, my thug buddy, my co-thugs, we go sneak in and have a free meal there and that kind of thing. But that was my experience. Well, I had none. And I, as I said, I lived through the Jesus movement. Didn't come to Christ then, much younger, but I was always seeking and I had a lot of, but the, in spite of my background, I had a lot of intellectual objection. I thought, of course, I, I never read the Bible then. I thought I'd do it like so many others do, but I was seeking, I was seeking Christ. And we, we, my wife and I, we met a couple who we lived by, who went to a church and he turned out he, he was the associate pastor there. Very unconventional type of person, which God know, knew that kind of person I needed, but he explained the gospel to me in a way that there was absolutely no denying it. It's it just as clear as day I could accept it or not. And I didn't accept because I said I was not ready. And that's a foolish statement if you think about it, but that's what I said. Anyway, the whole story is short version. I, God moved upon me and had me in conviction all night long. I didn't know what that was, but I took a shower the next morning and God gave me a vision. It's the only way I know how to describe it, a vision of the, of the father and the son. And I understood at that point in time that the person who died on that cross was God in the flesh. And when you realize that, it happened to me. I was completely, totally broken. That God, the omnipotent God, creator of the universe, would allow himself to be nailed to the cross and die. For me. That, that broke. That's, that, a, that, that's a wonderful story. And do you talk about that in your book, The Sojourners, Journeys Road Home? I did not talk about my own conversion experience in The Sojourners Road Home. The Sojourners Road Home is designed, it has a brief devotional for each day. And then on the opposite page, it has a journal page where people can write their prayers and prayers and thoughts and reflections for each of the 40 days of the journey. And so they can come back and read it later and see, see the progress, if you want to call it progress that they've made. And I can. Almost guarantee you, they'll see a uh, tremendous change in all life and the lives of those around them. They, they affect because they're focused, they're turning their focus again away from this world, which will stress anybody out <laughs> and back to God in their own journey. 40 day journey to the heart of God. And, and the book is the primary target audience, if you want to call it that, is those who, who travel and are away from home family and fellowship and there's millions of people out there in that in that uh, category but i've discovered that it's basically for anybody because we aren't all so darn in this world aren't we absolutely and thank god for that did you have any challenges or did writing these books create any challenges for you that you had to overcome they created a critical a lot of them and like a lot of people i'm my own worst enemy and my, probably my biggest challenge 
not probably, but it was my biggest challenge. I, I was my own worst enemy. I could never believe in myself. Could never believe that I would actually be a writer and I could get this thing done. And I just said earlier that I, I, every time I sit down to write, I have a bad case of what I, what I call it for, uh, imposter syndrome. So you can imagine how much imposter I, I thought I was then. Mm-hmm. I was some, around some very good writers. And I thought, man, wow, I, I was blown away. And I thought, I can't, I don't belong here. But when I persevered through all that, that, that was my biggest challenge. That, and then you just said it earlier, you talked about the challenges that come with writing a book. And it's challenging. It, I stumbled and fell along the way, as I said earlier. And, but it was overcoming that self-doubt that was the biggest challenge. And but as I said, in my case, it was the death of John Floyd Mills. That was what it took for me to push on through and get it done. You had to start over. Is there anything you'd do differently? Oh, wow. I hear some people say that they look back on their life and they say, I've never, I wouldn't change a thing. And I, that just sounds, I've never understood that really. That just sounds crazy. And maybe it's because of my background, but I think I would change just about everything. I would go back. I wouldn't, I would pursue things that God placed in my heart much earlier. And that I knew that I'm made to do certain things that I, I needed to go through, through some of these things. So they, they molded me and shaped me and gave me the ability to write like I, I can now, because I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I went through so many things in my life. I'm not intimidated by anybody or I'm not, nothing surprises. I'll have people say, and this happened periodically, pretty often. People will say, you're not going to believe my story and please don't judge me. And I was saying, man, I almost feel like laughing. I think if you knew the things that I went through, you wouldn't worry about me judging you. I understand human nature very, very well. And that's God's job. Very good. Do you have any advice for people over the age of 50 about what, how to identify or pursue their passions? I think in most cases, you may have a vague idea about what you want to do, but just start, step out there and do that. Even in small ways, you may or may not be in a, in a position. You may still have family responsibilities. You need your job the time or, or whatever it is. And, but you can pursue it. You can begin to pursue it in small ways. If it's writing, just start writing a bit of both. And you already heard my story and you shared your story. And it's just not going to be very good. Don't worry about it. If it's up to it's anything, art, anything that you have felt in your heart to pursue, or you wanted to pursue it for a long time, and you just felt held back, just go out there and do it small way. There are all kinds of opportunities available. I just get hooked up with some people who are, who are doing what you want to do. Start connecting with them. The same way I did. I didn't feel like I belonged, really. I feel like they were way above me. They didn't feel that way. I discovered later. How can people connect with you if they'd like to learn more about you or even work with you to get a book written? They can contact. Again, one of the one of the great things about having a name like mine, Kelly McCoy, is that one, I'm easy to find, very easy to find. They can connect with me via my website. And guess what? 
kellymacmccoy.com or I'm, I'm, they can write me at the, my, my email at my website at info at coy.com. And I'm at any of those sites, they can contact me and we can have a consultation. If you have a book in your heart that you, you would either like to write yourself or you someone else to write for you, we can talk about that. I can be coaching as well. I've been through the whole process, so I can just coach you through it, lead you to the people who will get it published and the whole, whatever level you need, just let me know. We'll get her done. Your book is coming out when? On September 12th? September the 12th is the official release date. It's available for pre-order everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere else. You can't go to my website and order a signed copy, which I can ship now. But what I need probably more right now more than anything is the pre-orders. And just go to your favorite online store. They're on it, but any of them. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, especially, and you can order there and it'll be shipped to you on September the 12th. And why would people want to read your book? Again, it's a reminder that we are all sojourners in this world and it's a way to reconnect with God and just reorient your, orient your whole journey through this life and see yourself from now on as a sojourner which we all are. So when you, when you reach those low points in your life, you're able to focus, you're able to focus once again on, on your role as a sojourner in this life. That's where you are. Thank you very so, much, Kelly. I really appreciate you, your time. Yeah, this was fun. And I applaud you for writing your books. They are a lot of work to put those things together and to share your heart with people. You always seem so vulnerable when you're out there writing your books like that. And I encourage people to go check it out and order a copy of it or get it when it's uh, in bookstores as of September 12th. I appreciate it, Greg. I appreciate you having me on. You've got an awesome program. I love it. Ford up 50. That's awesome. I encourage you guys to go forward. As a writer myself, I enjoyed Kelly McMcCoy's story about overcoming childhood trauma to realize his lifelong dream. Whether he intended to do so or not, the steps Kelly took to become a writer were exactly the right steps anyone should take when venturing out to try something new. First, Kelly started hanging around with others who had already had the skill he aspired to have himself. He would practice his writing and allow experienced writers to critique his manuscripts to offer suggestions which could make it even better. He looked for writing jobs on websites like Upwork. Kelly also engaged in ghostwriting, a process in which people paid him to write things on their behalf. He also started editing material produced by others. Good writing is really a rewriting process, Kelly explained. To make something good, it has to be rewritten, and often several times. By networking with others in the writing and publishing field, he found even more writing opportunities. Although his clients received credit for whatever was written, Kelly got more experience while he made a good income. He eventually hooked up with another writer to collaborate on a book project. Although the two men realized their writing styles were vastly different from each other, Kelly continued with the idea after the death of his mentor. Kelly's experience in publishing his first book, Rough Way to the Highway, opened the door to writing another one titled The Sojourner's Road Home, A 40-Day Journey to the Heart of God. 
His experience shows it is possible for people over 50 to pursue their dreams, learn new skills, and make a difference in the lives of others. Kelly understands many people over 50 still have family responsibilities or a job which requires their full attention. Yet, even if they have a vague idea about what they want to do with the rest of their lives, they should take a baby step toward that vision now. Kelly said there are all kinds of opportunities available out there. Just find people who are already doing what you want to do and connect with them. To connect with Kelly, visit www.kellymacmccoy.com. Because great stories need to be told, Kelly is willing to coach anyone who is interested in writing and publishing their own stories. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming sessions to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thank you for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.